I want you to focus on is how profitable is your business, not how much revenue do you generate, because that's just a bragging right. I have a bragging right of saying UA generated a million dollar in revenue the first year, but that does not mean I took home a million dollar. Does not mean (laughs) that like I pay taxes on a million dollars and I'm a millionaire in a year. You're listening to Untamed, a podcast dedicated to empowering you, the lash artist, while providing insights on how to achieve success that is as individual and unique as you are. Each episode, me, Cheryl, and me, Anne-Marie, share our best information openly, without reservation. We discuss challenges, best practices, and what the future holds for the lash industry. So grab a snack and your comfiest sweater, and get ready to geek out with your new lash BFFs. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe! Welcome back to the Untamed Podcast. Last episode, we talked with Tiana about business and seeing if your business is as profitable as you think. And that was actually one of my favorite episodes, I would say. And I can tell it was a lot of your favorite episodes too, because we actually have had a lot of conversations with you guys about this topic. So because it was so popular, I thought we could get into it a little bit more and talk about profitability in a business. So before we can really talk about profitability, though, we need to start by talking about money. And with that, I am going to be doing an interview with Cheryl today because her background is a financial advisor and she has run successful businesses. So I think she's a great person to interview. So if you're interested in learning how you can be profitable in your business and the things to consider, definitely take out your pen and paper and let's get into it. So Cheryl, thank you so much for like being on my own podcast, being open to sharing all this. Yeah, but like (laughs) being open to share all this because I think it's something that's really interesting and a lot of people gatekeep. They don't want to share actually how to be profitable. And I think there's a lot of controversial opinions we can share around that statement. But before we get started, can you tell everyone about your background as a financial advisor? Yeah. So a little disclaimer first for everyone. I just wanted you guys to know that I'm no longer certified anymore as a financial advisor. Like my license has passed long ago and it was a very short-lived career, but I did distill the essence of what it means to be a financial advisor from my very short-lived career. And everything that I want to share with you guys today, it's really just more personal experience and opinion, and it's not professional like money advice. So if you guys are looking to for professional advice, I highly encourage you to look for a credible person to work with. If you know you guys want to know how to look for that person, I can give you some advice on that. But other than that, just know that this podcast, full disclaimer, it's more of an opinion and experience and sharing story with you guys. So back to my background, I think that like we have to backtrack a little bit. I talk about this a lot, my career as a professional poker player. So when you're a professional poker player, you're, for those who have no idea what that even means or what a career like that is, the most similar things that you can think of, it's like a day trader or like trader in very high frequency and high volatility markets. So not someone who just buys stocks and then hold it and then for years and two years and see what happens, but more like what you see in like the big short where people buy and sell within minutes and hours and then measure their results on a daily basis. So poker and day trading has a lot of similarity. The biggest one in commonality, it's taking calculated risk in a very quick span of time. That's what I think the commonality that they had 
And so when I was really burned out in my poker career and wanting to look for something new, I kind of looked towards a market or a career choice that had what I liked, the elements of poker, which has to deal with money, has to deal with high risk, because, you know, I have an infinity for risk taking, not one that I think a lot of people resonate or relate to. And then also something to deal with people. So I then looked into being a financial advisor. So as a financial advisor, all I did was really looking at a person's financial situation that they are currently in now, and then also understanding where they want to be and what their goals are in life, whether it's buying a house, saving money for your kid's college, or retiring at a certain age. And you build a plan around that to help them achieve these goals by leveraging investment tools that's out there, such as like insurance, which is one of those really big ones, mutual funds. Reason why I left the industry is because the access that I had towards the tools that people can use to invest was very limited to what my company was offering. And most of my friends and my peer that I was serving at the time were much younger. So a general rule of thumb when it comes to money in general is a concept that I think everyone should really kind of understand and take advantage of its compound interest. So what that just means, simply put, if you're like overwhelmed by the talk of money and finance, it's just to understand that the younger you invest, the better it will be because your investment accumulate interests on top of each other. So a good example to look at this is that Warren Buffett is considered one of the most successful investor with best track record of like results of return. But Warren Buffett generated more than 50% of his, I guess, net worth now after 65 but he's been investing since he was in his 30. So know that he's a billionaire, but half of his net worth came from after 65. So wow. it's really, it's because putting the time in. With that being said, with the people that I was serving and my peer, they were so young that the investment tools that I had access to were much less risky. And I think that it was just not the most optimal. And coming from that poker background, optimizing everything, <laughs> all that matters to me. I don't want to win a little. I want to win the maximum. And I want to win the maximum for my client as well. Therefore, I left that industry because the tools that I was given wasn't a way to maximize your earning potential. Through those experiences, I think with poker combined, I think that I've learned a lot about money. First of all, money has always just been a very top of mind kind of thing for me coming from the cultural background that I came from. You know, China was a very poor nation where I was born and raised. They were a very poor nation not that many decades ago. So a lot of people has a lot of money trauma and has a lot of limiting beliefs around money. So growing up, money is a topic that we talked about a lot. And then my mother has immigrated to Canada and became a very successful entrepreneur. And that's something that I aspire to be. So I felt like growing up, I had a certain belief value system when it comes to money, which is the more the merrier. And I would do anything to try to get there. But through my experience to poker and being a financial advisor, I think that I've distilled more some of the first principle around having a certain type of money mindset rather than strategy and tactic how to like get wealthy or get rich. So that's a little bit of my background, I guess, to do with money and finance. <laughs> 
Oh, that's amazing. And definitely a lot more in depth than most people have. So I think that's really neat. And now this is going to seem like a silly question, but I want to ask you, do you consider yourself good with money? And if so, do you feel like you always were? (laughs) It is a little silly. I know. (laughs) I love to tell you, I was just so great with money, so frugal and like, you know, budgeted all the time. But no, that's not the reality at all. Because as much as, you know, I grew up with money being a very important, I guess, asset that you are supposed to possess in your life, I wasn't really taught a financial literacy all that much. I was, if anything, I just mirrored certain money mindset that my mom has as a very successful entrepreneur, which I'd love to share some of that with you guys today. So I wasn't good with money. Because by the time I had moved to Canada, my mom had already found certain success in her business. So we had the fortunate circumstances where we weren't really the struggling immigrants. You know, we had abundance. So growing up, I kind of grew up with abundance in Canada. And I grew up with scarcity in China. But the funny thing is, when everyone is poor, you don't know you're poor. Like, that's the thing. In China, everybody was poor where I grew up. I was telling Phil the other day, watching Stranger Things. Stranger Things took place in the 80s, right? And they were opening a soda can. And then the soda can was the type that, like, you open. And then I think it's like the one that you have now where the tabs stays in the can itself, right? And I asked Phil, I was like, oh, have you ever had soda can that, like, when you open, the whole thing comes off? where it doesn't stay attached to it. He's like, I don't think that's ever my time. I was like, I don't think that's ever not my time in China. Because all the soda can that we had was still like that. And when we would buy soda that's in a glass bottle at convenience store, they would transfer the soda into a little plastic bag and then pop a straw in it. And then that's how you would take it home because they want to take, you know, the rebate that they give you for the glass bottles. So that's just kind of a little bit of context of like, I guess, environment that I grew up with. But I never felt poor just because that's just everyone's reality, right? Like in the wintertime, we don't have air, like in the summertime, we have air conditioner, but they're like units. But like in the wintertime, I live in South of China and it's much warmer than like anywhere in Canada. But I just remember I used to dress so much bulkier and I would layer so much more because there's no heater anywhere. Like in the wintertime, there's like sometimes we only shower like every other day because it's not enough hot water. But when you're just everyone's life is like that, you don't really think about it. So coming to Canada, it was a huge shift for me. Everything was different. You know, the language is different. People's lives are different. We were just talking about pre-recording that even what we see on media, it's different. (laughs) So I think that... Maybe it's a curse or maybe it's a skill of mine. I've always been very adaptable. So I adapted to the North American, the West lifestyle very quickly with very little restriction from like, you know, my mom when it comes to living. And then I grew up watching her, you know, loving name brands and designer stuff and things like that. And I obviously really wanted all those things that she had. And I also moved out at a really young age. So at a really young age, you don't really have real responsibility, right? You just have to pay rent. But then you also want all the nice things that you kind of like (laughs) see your mother has. So no, I was terrible with money because I used to be a sneakerhead when I was a teenager. So I would spend all my money on sneakers. And then like, I would rather buy sneakers and eat. 
So I've gone to bed at 7 p.m. because I have no money for dinner. But I did probably buy sneakers that week. And then fast forward to poker. That's probably one of the worst place for someone like me who didn't have good financial literacy at the time to be in because money came and went so fast and in a substantial amount. So you almost started to look at money from a different perspective that isn't realistic. And I think lash artist or beauty service provider, entrepreneur has a very similar experience to that where you are self-employed, money kind of come and go as how hard you work, right? And then they are also inconsistent because as a lash artist, sometimes there's a seasonal stuff. Like we talked about that in one of the episodes. I remember you said that you double your revenue during holiday season. Right. So with that influx of money and lack of financial literacy, and then also the desire for beautiful things, (laughs) it's a recipe for disaster. So I was not really good with money. And I always kind of attributed one of the reason why I had to quit poker and not have the success that I wanted to or some of my peer have. It's because of my bankroll management. So bankroll management is just a term of how you manage the money that you use to play with, right? And I didn't really understand the concept of bankroll management. Interesting. It's just like a whole different life. Like I can't imagine winning a ton of money and then going back and betting a lot of that money and then maybe losing it. Like that is very risky. And it's actually really interesting that you did that. And then you went into financial advising and then you went into running a successful business that's profitable. (laughs) What a journey. I think that it had to happen that way. Otherwise, maybe you like the business I ran wouldn't have been profitable. And maybe I then would have stayed being a financial advisor that isn't giving the most optimal advice to people. I think it had to happen that way because as I get closer and closer to the end of my career, I start learning more about money mindsets. I start learning more about the very first like fundamental principle around preserving and growing your wealth. And I think that that's something that like doesn't get talked about a lot. Like right now, there's a lot of information out there around financial literacy that has to do with what does a loan mean? Like, you know, what does a mortgage mean? How do you get one? How do you build your credit? Like that's what people are still talking about when it comes to financial literacy. But when you go a step deeper, you understand that there are some very first fundamental principle that applies to every person in every area of the world, no matter what the financial system is set up in your countries or in your life, in your household, that there's some winning money mindset that you can adopt that are not just tactic and not something you have to memorize. It's not about budgeting. It's not about all of that, but it's having those mindset that really helps you make decisions really quickly when it comes to having money. Hmm. Well, I'm definitely very interested. So what is this like main mindset? And then I want to like dig into that a lot deeper too. Okay. This is what works for me. Again, I want to preface this is what works for me. The very, very first principle, I think it's going back to abundance and scarcity, right? A lot of us grew up with scarcity around money. Money is a conversation piece that is very uncomfortable. It's something that it's always drive wedges in family. So recognizing where you are at with your money mindset, it's a very first important step. Do you have abundance around money or do you have scarcity around money? So one of the really good examples that I always like to tell people that 
there's a difference between, I guess, being rich and being wealthy. Yes. You can be rich by saving. I come from the Asian culture where I can tell you, like a lot of my friends, if you're listening to this, you probably relay, right? Growing up in a household, even in North America, that like in the winter time, it's not warm. It's it's not cold in your house, but it's not necessarily warm because your parents like you know electricity costs money. And in the summer times, like mm, we can use fans unless it's really hot, and then we、we'll、turn on the AC. So there is this mindset that comes from a place of scarcity. Is saying that like I can save a million dollar to become a millionaire. But then there is a difference of building wealth, which is it's an abundance mindset. It's understanding that it takes monies to make money. One of the best example that I can give you guys is a story my mom unintentionally taught me. This like very, I think, a golden piece of advice when it comes to money. I remember I was buying my first condo when I was in my early twenties. Coming from a poker background, I don't have the financial backing. Like you know, you don't have your pay stub, you don't have an income. You know, the bank doesn't just look at your how much money you have in the bank and just be like, okay, here I'll give you a loan. They wanted to see that you're gonna generate money in order for you to get a loan, right? So I was kind of desperate at the time, so I told my mom. Could you co-sign with me? I would love for you to co-sign with me because then the bank know that I'm reliable and I'm gonna pay my mortgage so I can get this condo. And my mom rejected me. I was like, "Ouch! Like, I'm your daughter. Like, why don't? Why wouldn't you want me to buy this condo and you know build some wealth for myself?" And my mom said to me that the reason why I won't co-sign with you is because in the future when an opportunity comes. For investing, for business, whatever it is, your house that you now buy and own and pay mortgage to, it's a collateral. So what that means is that it has a certain amount of value that you've accumulated from your down payment, the mortgage that you pay, and that's worth something. And the bank look at that and think that that is a credibility of you owning some sort of asset. And what you can do is then take out a loan. On that, so now you have a collateral. You say, "Okay, I have this house. Like, I deserve some money from you, bank." But if we co-sign, the bank is not going to be able to a give you a second mortgage or loan at all, or the bank is going to make you jump over hoops, and you're not going to get as great of a deal. And immediately, that's when I realized that that's the difference between someone who focuses on being like rich by saving and someone who focuses on building wealth. Because my mom essentially in that experience taught me that having leverage is important because money makes money, which I want to dive into a little bit later when we're talking about profitability and when we talk about scaling that profitability. Understanding that like building a good credit, it's important because that's leverage. Having assets and not liability, it's important because that's cr- like again building your credibility and helping you get more money and spend more money. So there's this whole scam that people talk about with billionaires, right? I have I feel neutral about it. I don't have I don't feel one way or another way about it. But billionaires like Elon Musk and Bill Gates and all these people, most of their assets are in the value of their company, the stock, right? And when they want to buy something else, like let's take Elon Musk as an example. Elon Musk bought Twitter recently, right? But Elon Musk didn't just go to Twitter and like with briefcase of money <laughs> and just be like, "There goes forty something million dollar." Like I'm gonna buy Twitter now. Like you know that's not how it works. What they did was Elon Musk says, "I have enough money if I sold if I sold all my stock." 
if I sold all Tesla, if I did all this, I have the money to buy Twitter. But I'm not going to do that because Tesla is going to keep growing. These money is worth something. So I'm going to go to private banking and then I'm going to ask them and use my stock in Tesla as a collateral to say, hey, look, I can prove that I have this kind of money. So will you loan me the money to buy Twitter? So essentially, it's like these imaginary money almost floating around to help you make more money, which is why I do feel like there is a disadvantage when you don't understand these things, that why we get stuck in the scarcity mindset and say, only the rich gets richer because the rich plays a different game. They don't think of money the same way you think of money. Like, for example, I think most of my friends' parents would be gladly to co-sign with their kids to help their kids get a condo. But my mom didn't want to do that because my mom saw that there is better opportunity in the future for you to take that money to reinvest in other business and things like that, which I'm able to do later using my condo as a collateral. So understanding that was really, really important that the money makes money. So at any time you hear someone tells you that their net worth, it's $5 million, $10 million. Just know that what that means is that they probably have $20 million in property, stock, everything. And then they are $8 million in debt because of loans and things like that. So they have a net worth of seven or $8 million. So know that when someone tells you they have a net worth of 10 million, they actually have $20 million or more than whatever the net worth is. So that's a huge difference in, I think, the money mindset of maybe like a conventional, like a average person who hasn't been exposed to those type of information or those type of people versus like people of like the top 1% or the upper class. You said two things that I think are going to be extremely important to get Silas on the right path. And one was it takes money to make money. And the other is that you have to prove that you are generating money to get these loans. And that is something that I've seen go so wrong in the industry is that stylists don't always claim all their money or they don't have their books well kept. And so then when they do want to buy a car or they do want to get a house, it looks like they only make maybe 14000 a year when re- in reality they could have been making 60000 but they're not claiming it. It's not well organized. So could we kind of like take all that that you're saying and shift it into the beginning stages for our listeners to like understand profitability and revenue and where to go from here so they can make those better investments for themselves and their family. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that you touched on a really good point there is the difference between profitability and revenue. Okay. So many people in our industry are giving money advice, right? But the money advice they give you is let's make six figure. You can even make seven figure. I've been there. I've done all those things. But what people don't talk about is profitability versus revenue. That's a way more important conversation to have because like, let's just say a sandwich store, right? To sell five sandwiches, it costs you a certain amount of money, but to sell 500 sandwiches, it costs you a different amount of money because you have to buy different amount of ingredients and stuff. So understanding that like, when we talk about income in our industry, we use a very general term, especially when you hear the six-figure income, seven-figure income. When we talk about income, people are generally talking about revenue. So what that means is that the money that you have exchanged with your client by the end of the year. So the money that comes into you every time you offer a service, you can actually get to six figure like 
not it's not the hardest thing. Like I'm gonna declare as somebody who don't really preach that six figure income and stuff like that. I do think that getting to the six figure revenue it's not the hardest thing in our industry. If you decide to work a religious hour and you charge a decent amount, you can get there, no problem. But the profitability is actually where we should really be focusing on because. Profitability means how much money do you actually take home at the end of the day, and that six-figure profitability is a lot more difficult to reach, especially Absolutely. because your whole profit is not necessarily your take-home. So I'm really excited for you to just like tear that bandaid off and tell us more. <laughs> yeah, because to know that like the more money you make, the more money it's going to cost you to make that money as well. Because you can get to a six-figure revenue by yourself lashing. But if you want to get to a six-figure profit, you probably have to hire staff. You probably need bigger space. You probably need more marketing costs. You probably need like freelancer to help you do the things that you don't have time to do, like social medias and ads and all these things, right? So to spend, like that's what we were talking about earlier, that you have to spend money to make money. So understanding, if you take away anything from this podcast, this episode, I want you to take away the understanding of. What I want you to focus on is how profitable is your business, not how much revenue do you generate, because that's just a bragging right. I have a bragging right of saying UA generated a million dollar in revenue the first year, but that does not mean I took home a million dollar. Does not mean <laughs>、right. that like I pay taxes on a million dollars and I'm a millionaire in a year. Not at all. That's not what it means. So I want you guys to kind of look past the noise. In our industry, sometimes and understand that like profitability, it's more important of a metrics for you to look at. And that the thing is, revenue can be something that you know you can. There is like a ceiling on it, right? Like you, because we're exchanging our hours of work for money. But profitability is where the fun is because there is wiggle rooms in that. Based on the decisions that you make in your business, you can change how profitable you are in your business. There are some artists that I know that make six-figure income, right, like hundred thousand dollar a year lashing, but they have a very, very slim profit margin, like profitability. So what that means is that they may only take home ten thousand dollar a year because the rent that they have is expensive. Because the products that they purchase, they don't really do inventory control, and they kind of just buy a ton, try a lot of different brands, right? And then they are outsourcing a lot of things, and not really understanding the hourly of like their time and the hourly of others. So by the end of the year, when they do their book, when you look at your P and L, which is profit and loss, it's like the only accounting, I guess. Paper that you really need to understand as a business owner is your profit and loss, your P and L. Like if you talk to an accountant, get them to explain to you. If you've never really like you know sat down, looked at it, and understand it, get them to explain it to you. Invest the time to understand. All it does is it shows you how much money did you spend on your business this year, and then how much money did you make, and then at the end of it, what is your net profit? So have, what do you end up taking home and paying taxes on? That's like the thing. How the simplest way to think about it of probability is how much money are you paying taxes on? That's like pretty much it, right? Sometimes I get a little frustrated when I see the industry that has a lot of big influencers and really successful entrepreneurs in our industry that tells half of a story to our artists about. They tell the story of their revenue, but not the story of their profitability to their artists and. 
it then create this toxic and false aspiration for artists to say, "I want to be, you know, a six-figure earner. I want to be a seven-figure earner." But without really understanding that they're like, what is the profitability looks like? And especially if you become a six-figure, seven-figure, like you know, revenue, but don't have really good understanding of the money mindset and the first principle of how money works in our world, you can easily overspend. You can easily spend falsely. You can easily fall into a lot of traps that, like, you would see that a lot of people fall into when they come into a lot of money through their business, but not necessarily profit through their business. So, I think that that's one of the thing that I would caution everyone to, yes. as they're scrolling through Instagram and as they're scrolling through their aspiration and their inspiration, to know that like. You're not getting the full picture. You're not getting the entire story. And so, if you're not getting that entire story, how are you going to go and replicate that story? And you know what's interesting is like we actually have someone, Cheryl, and you know who it is. I'm not going to say yet, but they're going to come on our podcast and they are going to share their story. And if you have followed this lash artist, she's extremely well known, and you will see like, wow, this is going to shock everyone to hear that this person got caught up in that. And she's going to share extremely vulnerably what's happening. Oh my God. I'm so excited for that. Episode. Like seriously, turn on your notifications, like shameless plug there, because when that episode comes out, it is going to change lives. It is really going to shake up the industry. I do believe that because like you said, people get so caught up in that and you know exactly who I'm talking about and you know their story. And so, you know, like, firsthand how much damage I can do to someone. And it's not just like financial damage, but it actually can hit you a lot deeper than that too. Oh, absolutely. It can really hurt in other ways. Yeah. Everything is up to interpretation. And a lot of the time people would influence and platform. All they're doing is they're projecting their interpretation to their followers and their audience. You know, one of the most misleading interpretation that I have ever heard. That is, I recently saw something where someone said, I think it was like a TikTok video first that it says how to think about money and how to think about like how to justify to yourself whether or not you can afford luxury stuff. And then the TikToker says that like, oh, if you can't buy it twice, then that means you can't afford it, right? And that message got completely. Misconstrued by someone else, interpreted by someone else, and now that message being spread that like, look at me, I can buy it twice. Therefore, I'm going to buy it twice. But the entire message behind that was actually a really wise money advice. Is telling you that like, under spending like within your means. That's what the message is really about, like the TikTok video. But I felt like the other video that I saw. Completely misconstrued that instead of used it as like almost like a marketing opportunity to say, "Hey, look, like I can buy two of the same thing because I have the money to." But that defeats the entire purpose because if you're gonna buy two, that means you should be able to afford four. If we follow that logic to its conclusion, <laughs> that's actually really interesting because I've been seeing that topic come up a lot on TikTok with people who are teaching finances. 
being able to buy two and like that stress of, hey, you buy that $1,200 phone and then it breaks and you're just in a tizzy over it. And I mean, that's hard because that is an extremely expensive investment and something we kind of all need to have to a degree if we're running business and things. But yeah, I didn't think about like the two going to the four. Now is it eight times? Like, where's the cap for that? I didn't even, that's amazing. Yeah, (laughs) the whole entire point of that message was to spend within your means. Exactly. Within your means that it's not going to have emotional burden on you. It's not going to have a financial burden on you. But if you cap out and spend because you can afford to, you spend two, then you're just exactly where you started. That two just means one. That's kind of where it's dangerous to, even for me, like I preface this in the beginning too, this is my opinion. These are my experience. They're not like, you know, I'm not someone who is in the financial industry. I no longer give advice to people. So like, it's very dangerous to just listen to someone else's success story. I said that before, right? Like following someone else's success story, it's like buying a lottery with a previous lottery winning ticket number, you know? So it's very, it's a very dangerous trap that I want our listener to be cautious of. I firsthand, as a person who loves nice things, like I love nice things. I want to have a lot of nice things. There's no shame and nothing is wrong with having nice things, but there is a difference between your life, like what you want in your life versus what you're trying to do with your business. And one of the things that I think it's another dangerous place, which I really need our entrepreneur to understand when it comes to money mindset with your business that your business, it's not a loophole for you to get what you want in life. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That's not even edit out my reaction of laughing, guys. uh, That's so serious of a statement, but I've been seeing that as a problem. And then it gets everybody else in that problem. And I mean, we would be lying if we've never done that. Like I've definitely done that throughout my business before, especially because it's all the, it's tax deductible. And then you start thinking, well, technically my business is making enough money. I could do that. And then all of a sudden you look at your like at home bank account and you're like, where's my money? (laughs) Exactly. Oh no, Cheryl. (laughs) Your life is so much bigger than your business. Your business, it's a vehicle that it's going to help you, but it's not a loophole. That's the thing that I think it's very dangerous is the great example that I can give is when the whole Venmo fee came out, right? Ooh, good and one. that is such a great example. The Venmo fee came out and a lot of people in our industry that's giving business advice and money advice was telling you how you can avoid the Venmo fees, right? Because everyone thinks that the more money we can keep in our pocket, the more it is for us. But that's actually not true because there's a certain playbook that the business world plays by. And as a rebel, I know where to cross a line and where to say, no, I don't No, I don't want to play. <laughs> but I also know that like these are certain, it's like the whole Instagram mindset that people have. It's like algorithm is here to fuck with me. You know, it's trying to fuck with me and I can never keep up ulterior motives, right? With the financial system. The financial system is set up to fuck with me. They don't want me to succeed. They don't want me to make a lot of money. But in reality, the financial system is actually objective and it doesn't have, I know we all hate taxes, 
but you know, if we really take a look at it, countries that pay less taxes also has less, like if, even looking from state to state, right? Like places that pays more taxes has certain benefits than places that don't pay more taxes. I think just getting out of your head and stop thinking that like, it's the, going back to the abundance and scarcity mindset. Stop thinking about the system is trying to fuck with you, but just understanding like, why does the system set up a certain type of rules and certain type of, I guess, like, yeah, playbook, right? And taxes is one of those that like, I think it's really important to understand that like your business is not here to avoid loophole. And one of the best advice I've ever gotten that I will pass on to you guys from an accountant is that the best thing you can do in your business to generate the most amount of profit for yourself to be the most successful business owner is to just pay the tax on your income, like to pay the tax on your profit. So many people try to go in there and manipulate. It's like, oh, what can I deduct? How can I write? How can I make that number as small as possible so I can pay as little tax as possible? But he said that after you do all the math, after you do all the loopholes and all of these things, you will realize that you actually get the biggest gain by just paying, doing your books properly, and then just paying taxes on whatever you end up being profitable on. That's not even considering what that's going to do for you and your credit and the loans that you have access to and the other, you know, financial opportunity you have access to just by doing this. He's just simply talking about statistically, just looking at numbers, the best, the most, I guess, like optimal thing for your business is to pay taxes on your profit. That only makes sense. Yeah, it's like actually the least amount. He's like, where do you, where else do you get? Like, I guess, I don't know where taxes is for everybody, right? But where else do you get to pay only 10 to 15% tax on your income? Nowhere, really. Because a lot of business owners try to say, oh, how much should I pay myself? And then like, how do I, you know, do the salaries and the dividends and all that stuff? But in reality, corporate tax, it's actually really great because the government wants corporate to succeed. Government want business to succeed because the business succeed means flourishing economy. It means everyone is doing well. So like, as much as we hate paying taxes, just understand that the feeling that we have about paying taxes is our scarcity in our money mindset. It isn't some evil narrative that like the government has to like scam you. So at any time when someone gives you an advice that has to do with finding a shortcut or a loophole, I caution you to take it with a grain of salt. When someone tells you that, yes, you can write off the luxury clothes that you buy, as a business expense. Yes, you can write off the luxury cars that you own as a business expense. I would caution you against it because you are looking at short-term gain and not like the long-term opportunity and the profitability for your business and for your individual as well. I like it. One thing that you mentioned that I think is very, very important because we all love a good deduction where we can have it is that if you're keeping your books well maintained, you kind of are already building your expenses, which is building some of your deductions already too. So <laughs> whenever I realized that I started keeping better like track of my books with my business, at the end, I wasn't still searching for deductions because it was all kind of managed along the way, if that makes sense. So I think that's really important. And I like that you mentioned being realistic with the things that we are trying to 
put in there. I think that people will try to write off everything within a business. And I'm sure we've all seen TikToks or memes that make fun of that, (laughs) you know, and it's even happened in TV shows where they're joking about it, where it's like, no, it's a deduction, like whatever. But the reality is that's still money that you're spending some way somehow, and that should be considered. I just also wanted to say here that no one wants to make boring TikTok videos to tell you or real that tells you that like, hey, like I'm a successful business owner who plays by the rule and pay my taxes. And like, that's boring, right? Everyone, <laughs> it's a culture. We want the get rich quick scheme. Like we want to know how do we get away with things? How do we have loopholes and all that stuff? But the thing is like, because doing it the right way, it's not sexy. It's kind of boring when it comes to numbers. And when it comes to this, it's kind of boring. But what I want you guys to think about as creative people, this is how I actually, for myself, got over, you know, not overthinking about loopholes and shortcuts and all that stuff is I realized that you have a limited resources of energy every single day. The time that you invest into finding loophole to get you like a f- marginal, I guess, benefit in your business, like a one to 5%, I don't know, some sort of benefit in your business, you could have invested that time to think of a new program, to think of a new service, to think of a rewards program or something that's going to get you 10, 30, 40, 100 times of the return and increase in revenue. So if you really think about it that way, it's like, what do I want to do? Do I want to spend my time trying to like, you know, save money to be a millionaire? Or do you want to drink your Starbucks drink and, you know, do what makes you happy so that you can be creative and then become a multimillionaire because you're passionate about what you do? That's the difference between rich and wealthy. If you look at it, the rich is usually the one that takes loophole. But the wealthy are the one that just like, don't bother me with this. Okay, you play. There's a set of rule. I'll play by it. Just let me focus on continue to grow and scale my business so that I can continue to increase that profitability rather than decreasing that profitability. Because it just sounds absurd, first of all, that you think the way I run my business and want to be successful is I want to make my profitability as small as possible. Like what? Why? No, let me pay those taxes. Right. I I like that you did mention the difference in the business taxes you're paying versus like your personal take home money, what you pay yourself. So your business can be profitable and then you just need to be, I find, tell me if this is crazy. I like to be a little bit more thoughtful of how much I'm taking home. But like if my business is having more money than I'm taking home, that's actually been very beneficial for me. It's kind of how my accountant set me up and it's, it worked well when I was running my studio. So yeah, I'm like, what's your take on that? No, I agree. That's actually something that like I learned later in my career as a poker player, that that would have been a very helpful tip that what you were just saying there, because poker is very similar to lashes, right? There's the money that you win and lose every day that comes in that's in your bankroll, which is just your cash flow, right? And you look at it, you can look at it quarterly, monthly, annually. At the end of the year, was I a winning player who had a net profit or am I a losing player who ended up losing money? But A lot of people in the poker world, in the beauty service world, we confuse that bankroll and we think that like that bankroll that 
money we're taking home is the money that we're living our life off as well. So we run into these problems where, like you said, like you don't you don't separate your business and your like personal money that you take home. So one of the things that my friend did that I was like, oh, I wish I learned this earlier is that we played, you know, a relatively decent stake. The money that we can come in and out in a monthly basis can range anywhere from like 10 to like $100,000, right? So imagine if you just spend as the money come in and as the money goes, you get yourself in a lot of trouble, speaking from personal experience. But what he did was actually he treated himself like an employee, like his role and the money that he takes home as an employee. So every week he paid himself a salary, regardless he won or lost that week. So he can have a week or a month that he lose like $50,000, but he still pays himself a salary of whatever that like, you know, he has done the math of whatever his life, how much it costs for him to live, he's living and stuff like that. So he pay himself a salary of, I don't remember how much it was, would be like, let's just pretend it's like $5,000 a month, right? That's pretty good. That's pretty healthy salary. But like, let's just say like 5,000. So no matter what the result of the business is, you're still getting paid that much. So sometimes that's what you need to think about. A lot of people start thinking about how much money they take home at the end of the year when they're doing the book. And then they're like, how much I have left over and blah, 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 and sitting around with the accountant. But I think that it's probably a better approach to start in the beginning of the year saying, how much money do I need to have and make for me to feel like this business is worth it for me, worth my time, worth my energy, worth me invest in it. And make that commitment to yourself and pay yourself that salary. But when you have a really great month, don't start overspending it because you're still getting paid that salary. Maybe you give yourself a little bonus or not, but like that's a different story. But like, I think it's treating money a little bit more rationally than emotionally. It's going to help a lot in keeping track of your business. The reason why we do this is A, because we're not in business as a hobby. Like we don't give up eight, 10 hours a day of our lives just to, you know, as much as we love our clients, they didn't pay us. We probably wouldn't be doing this. Right. And then second thing is that we want to grow not as a lash, not only as a lash artist in your skills and your knowledge, but you also want your business to grow. You also want who wouldn't want to make more money and maybe you're growing a family, then you have more people to support, maybe growing responsibility, maybe you want to buy a house, maybe you want to buy a car. All this is achievable, super, super achievable through business. We have the privilege to not need to do a nine to five job and still achieve all the things that people like want in life, but you can't get there without, you know, really understanding your finance. I keep saying this to start my thoughts with you, but I think it's interesting (laughs) that you said that starting by thinking of how much you want to take home. That's actually really interesting because if you start there, you might realize that, whoa, I have to think of a different spot for my rent because there's no way that I can take that many clients as a solo lash artist and afford that rent for that studio. And I think that's a really smart way to be about it because how you mentioned that your friend, you know, might've brought in a hundred thousand in revenue, but she's taken home maybe 10,000. You know, I've definitely been there before in my studio, even with employees because the overhead was so high for the area. So it's very easy for people to think, wow, she was charging $300 plus for full sets, but my expenses were so high that other lash artists who charge maybe a hundred a full set had a higher profit. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good way to think about it is how much do I actually want to take home and what is actually reasonable based off what I'm going to 
like maybe do this year and see if that works for you or not. Because my accountant made it at one point where I was taking home not a lot of money, not a lot at all, but it was a sacrifice I wanted to make. And I was able to make, thankfully, with the support of my husband. But I don't know if I would have made that without like his support. And then, you know, the nice thing about us is we do make that sacrifice for each other to help our careers grow. So it goes both ways. But, you know, thankfully he did that. So I was able to make less that year to make more the following year. Those are all things that have to be considered. Or what do you do? What do you do when you can't pay your bills at home? That's so well said. That's so scary. For somebody who, like me, who don't always like to plan, because I think creativity is fluid, you know, especially when you're in a very creative industry. But there are certain areas that you just have planning is just going to leave you in a better position. And I think that, you know, you made such a good point there of like planning ahead makes allows you to have a better, more realistic insight on your business. Like a lot of people get really angry of other people charging very little in their area for the service. But like you said, maybe it was so profitable for them that like they can't justify charging more. And then a lot of people charge very little and don't see how that affects their business, don't see how that affects their livelihood until they sit down and do that in the beginning of the year and realize, okay, let's just say I only want to make, you know, 25, 30K a year and realizing that I can't get there charging $80 a set. Like it's just mathematically impossible. That's what I love about math is that it doesn't lie. Numbers don't lie and it's mathematically impossible. And then you kind of touch on that great point of scaling and growing. It's making sacrifices to make your business more next year, right? So maybe you're taking home 20K this year, but you're aiming to take home 80K next year. But the only way you can get there is that you have to make certain investment in your business. But all of this takes planning. You have to think it through and you have to plan it out and like know what, what it is that you want from it. Especially for those of you who are leaving a job or want to leave a job. I think that that's such a, it's like you kind of in a position that's like, obviously it's not an easy position to be in, but you're in an easy position to kind of plan your business at least for the first few years, because you can look at how much money you are making in your current job. And then take that number and say, how do I subsidize that, that number with my business, whether it's through part-time or full-time completely, right? At least you have a starting point. You have a baseline of knowing like, okay, this is like how much I need to live my life. And it's harder when you kind of just jump in as an entrepreneur, like maybe people who haven't been in like, you know, the employment world, like for me, for example, like, you know, I haven't been in the job world before. So it would have been harder for me to know like what is realistic, then that's when you have to sit down and do the budgeting and understanding how much you want, what do you want in your life and all of that. But a little planning goes a really long way. It really does. You know, when I started taking clients, I was still working an office job in the lash industry. And then I was teaching as well. And then I kind of stopped the office part. I was teaching and taking clients, you know, so there was always this extra income that I was able to find. And then at that time, like my husband was in school, so there wasn't an income on his side. And then when I was like, hey, I really want to dive into this full time, just put my full effort in it. I knew that if it went a little bit backwards, that we were still okay. But it did take thought. Like it, we had to make sure that we were thinking through that and not everyone's going to have that support. And I understand that that's a privilege of mine, but you have to know where you stand and what your goals are, what your expenses are, so you can make the proper decisions. Because if you don't no, how can you how can you decide what you're you're doing? <laughs> 
I think we get really caught up in that. And I've also known a lot of lash artists and, you know, this is no shade to you. And I always admire the artists who do this is that they're brand new and they're trying to just go full in a hundred percent, but they don't have any experience in customer service, nothing in marketing, nothing in how are they going to get support for being a better lash artist? You know, they're missing all these key elements. So if you are going to go all in as a solo artist, when you are brand new, you really need to have a kind of like a plan for your success. If you don't have a plan on how you're going to pick up all those different parts, it's going to be quite difficult. Admire those artists because it is so difficult. And I have seen it go really, really well for artists and also extremely bad. So I think setting up yourself for success is very important. And that starts from a financial perspective, which is why I'm so thankful that you were open to sharing this today, Cheryl, honestly. I think it's going to help stylists no matter where they're at in their career. You actually shared a few of like your principles, I would say. And you talked about kind of knowing the value of our profit, how we confuse revenue with profit, called us all out. We've all been there, called yourself out, called me out, called everyone listening out. (laughs) We've all been there. And then you talked about scaling that profitability a bit and then the value of our time. But do you have anything else that you feel like you want everyone to take away? Like what is the first step that we should be doing to get back on track? Oh, good question. The first step is honestly just sit down and have a honest conversation with your books. Look at your business and look at your books. If it's intimidating, maybe get someone who have some like some family person that has some experience or hire an accountant who just hired them for their time. Like a lot of accountant, if you just hired them for $100, $150 an hour, just hire them for their time to say, hey, I don't really understand this part of my business. Could you break it down with for me? Go in there with questions that you need to understand. Like even if it's, there's no silly question, even if it's just going in and be like, what is a PL? How do I understand that? You know, it's about planning, like you said, just writing down. It's kind of like we're coming into a full circle because we started the podcast asking me like what I did, my background as a financial advisor. And I said it was understanding where you are now, knowing where you want to go, and we plan a plan and a strategy to get there. So be your own financial advisor in this case where first take a look, honest look at where you are right now with your business. And if you, until today, never even looked at a PL in your business, it's not too late. It's okay. Like so many of us are going into business for so many different reasons. We may be in here for the freedom. Maybe we're in here for, you know, the creativity, the artistry and all, or the ambition, right? There's so much to navigate in the entrepreneurial world that you're not behind because you never looked in the P&L, but you will be continuously setting yourself, not setting yourself up for success if you continue to neglect that part. So Maybe it's just a starting place. It's just like, look at last year and the year before your PL. And if you don't have one, then just kind of look at what you do have. Look at the information that you do have. Just say, how much did I spend last year? How much did I make last year? And if you don't have any of that because you're just new and you're spanking new and you're just starting, the best advice that I can give you is to start keeping track of these things. Setting up a system for these things where it's easy for you that it doesn't take up too much time. A lot of entrepreneurs experience this. If I can save you the headache, is that their first year into business, they don't know any of these stuff. I can even speak for myself, right? I don't know any of these stuff. And then I get to the end of the year and then you're like, everyone else is talking about taxes. Is it time to pay taxes? And you're like, <laughs> what do I do now? To save yourself the headache, right? Is to just start tracking everything now using platforms like, 
QuickBook or something where, and then scheduling a time where once every two weeks you go in and you just kind of look at your expenses and things like that. Most important thing, actually, I think the most basic thing, I hope everyone, and if you don't have this, probably set it up now, is separate your business credit card and your personal credit card. <laughs> That's Remember a good one. <laughs> That's like probably the most basic one, but I think it's just one that needs to be said. Yeah, It's just like, Get into the habit of knowing, remember we talked about separating your business and your personal, you know, it's just going to create so much headache at the end of it. And then I think the last thing when it comes to like, you know, the money mindset is that knowing just like success, just like, you know, family happiness, know that it's different for everybody. Other people making six figure does not mean you have to make six figure. Everyone has different needs and there are different stages of their life. I think that like money is a tool that helps you get access to certain things that you want and need, but it's not the end all be all for everything. So in your business, yes, if you want to grow and you want to scale, I say go for it, girl. Like don't hold back and do what you need to do. But if you're also happy with where you are right now and you just wanted to make sure that you just being more of a loop and that's okay too. There is no, yes, like there's certain play, like we did talk about certain rule that we want to play by in business, but there is no rule in like how much money you need to make in order to be a worthy person, a happy person, a lovable person, because you can make $0 and you're still lovable and still worthy and still good enough. And you can make a million dollars and that would be the same, you know? So just know that Money can be a very triggering and intimidating topic for a lot of people because of our society and because of our family trauma. But you can rewrite that and you can look at money in the way that you want to. And just takes a little bit of learning and unlearning. That's all for this episode of Untamed. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at untamedartistry.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, as your study buddy, we are always here for you. Don't hesitate to send us a DM at untamed.artistry. 